Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast, and with me today is Alistair. Alistair, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Hey, Dave, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. I've enjoyed just chatting with you. I I say that all the time when I'm talking about, I I love talking with people. I I love to... I'm getting this sense about you, Dave. Yeah, yeah. I I, I truly enjoy talking with people, and I love talking about theology, so uh, those are two of my loves, and so I get to to talk about it on the podcast, and that's seems to go well. So, Can you uh, tell us a bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry products you're working on? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I am in New Hampshire. I work in Vermont, so kind of off in the backwoods, and I like it that way. <laughs> uh, it's been a great uh, last 10 years or so that we've been up here, my wife and I. I got three kids. Uh, my oldest, Emily, is almost 10. My middle daughter is Adara. She's seven. And then my son, Alden, just turned five. So we're kind of at that sweet spot where we're out of diapers and people are sleeping through the night, but we're not yet running around to 75 different activities after school every day. So I'm trying real hard to soak up every minute of uh, of the joy of this season, um, and, and mostly with success. Uh, at bedtime, maybe, you know, not so much, but, but most of the time, it, it's a great thing. Um, Ministry-wise, I am uh, with CCEF, the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, kind of a mouthful. You can see why we shorten it to CCEF most of the time. Uh, And specifically, I I have two basic rules. Number one, I I counsel and uh, direct our New England office. Kind of little office up here, uh, but the main group is down in Philadelphia. And then with the Philadelphia group, the other half of my role is to, uh, I'm on faculty down there and I am the director of the School of Biblical Counseling, which at this point is pretty much entirely online. And that has been so much fun. I've loved getting to really think through the the structures that allow ministry equipping and education to be possible. So we've got a pretty significant certificate program there. We've got a partnership with Westminster Seminary um, that does a master's degree. And then CCF does all kinds of writing and speaking and other sorts of things. And I I enjoy that as well. So it, it keeps me busy. I've got a lot of hats I wear. Um, but I really do enjoy all of them. And thus far, I'm enjoying even being able to switch hats. How long have you been doing that? Well, the most recent piece I added was uh, uh, directing the school. So that uh, just started at the beginning of 2017. So I guess that's uh, two and a half years of that. But I've been uh, counseling and uh, on faculty with CCF uh, since 2010. Wow, and I've okay. been up here in New England since 2010. Wow. Okay. Where were you at before that? Uh, well, I was in seminary. Uh, in Philadelphia and uh, oh. doing my CCF training. So I uh, finished my training there, did a year's internship my last year, took one year at CCEF to kind of counsel full-time and get more experience, and then came up here and launched a counseling center with my wife. And she did all the hard work, and I sat around and talked to people. And she <laughs> wrote the business plan and figured out the logistics and registered us with the state and figured out how to file 501c3 papers, and uh, it was fun. So you have a multi-talented wife like I do. I certainly do. Mm. I certainly do. And she's actually still working with us now and uh, doing a lot of our sort of high-end administrative, structural, strategic stuff that, that she and I get to coordinate on, so that's been fun. So, you're, you're, so your wife's good at the administrative stuff and my wife's good at the 
IT stuff. So ah, oh, a match made in heaven. Yeah, basically, and she's a better editor than I am by by far. By, <laughs> by far, without her, I, I I couldn't do what I do. So, but, so well, I can tell that story as well. Yeah, right. Well, uh, Alistair, can you tell us about your book, Untangling Emotions? Uh, you wrote with uh, Dr. Winston Smith. Uh, why you guys wrote it and how it's being received? Sure. So, so the book, uh, Untangling Emotions, the idea was there is so much going on emotionally for all people all the time, right? And especially as Christian counselors, we spend a lot of time talking about emotions, thinking about emotions, seeing where they're causing havoc in people's lives. But the more time you spend thinking about emotions, the more you realize, um, man, especially within the Christian world, there's this tendency to seem to see emotions as a major problem. They're, they're, they're almost always being viewed in the lens of, oh, those bad, unruly emotions, you need to be real careful. And what, um, what we increasingly found is that that really the common perspective out there that we hear in our counseling sessions and often in, in various forms of teaching and instincts that seem to be there ingrained deeply into the churches is a a sub-biblical view of emotions and especially of negative emotions. So I think the driving factor for us in wanting to write the book was to say we need to we need to understand better how the Bible actually thinks about what's going on in negative emotions. And by negative I mean the ones that don't feel good, like anger and fear and grief and, and so on and so forth. So um, that yeah, that kind of the understanding the negative side of it, which we're grappling with in counseling, was was probably the, the genesis for the project. And Winston's been thinking about it a lot longer than I have. And uh, it was just neat to be able to partner together on something and, and sharpen each other's thinking. And it really is a, a truly shared book. And we'd each start with uh, a draft of a chapter. And then as you kick it back and forth, there was, uh, for for me, I knew I had to own every word of the whole book, not just every word of my chapters, quote unquote, um, or else I was, we, we were going to end up with two books trying to cram itself into one cover. Um, and I think we really did end up with something we both felt like, yeah, this is, this is my book and this is our book. Um, in terms of the reception, you know, it only came out um, a little over a month ago, so I think the jury's still out. The feedback I get anecdotally has been yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the book uh, for the reasons that you just uh, said. Um, I think that it is such a needed subject because, as you know. Uh, better than me even um we live in such a psychologized world and psychology is viewed almost as like a, a priest if you will you know where you know people seek this seek value and meaning and worth and and from a counselor and um you know so it's kind of like the, the psychologist is a priest if you will in that sense and that they they go to them and not to the church as we know and and so i think that this book is really helpful not only for christians but also for non-christians uh, I know I grew up in the church and uh, been a Christian since I was five and I'm 30, 38 now. And uh, I don't think I received much teaching ever really on emotions. I can't <laughs> really remember a book on emotions or I'm sure there, there are books out there, but not like this. So I, I really think that it's in a very important and needed book. Thanks, Dave. I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate especially your mention of Christians and non-Christians finding it helpful. It's very explicitly, directly a Christian book, and it's trying to be a Christian book, and it's written to people who are thinking about emotions in the context of Christian faith, but our hope really was that it would be a book that would be uh, thought-provoking, intriguing, helpful, appreciated by any non-Christian reader as well. It's not its not a book that's like, oh, well, if you're a Christian, then you should read this book on emotions. Uh, the idea was that we were trying to speak to all of human experience 
uh, certainly doing so from a Christian perspective. Uh, so anyhow, I, I'm glad to hear you saying that that was your experience of it as well. Yeah. You write on page 15 that the way you respond to your emotions, including how you feel about how you feel, is of vital importance to your relationship with God and others in your life. Our emotions are one of the most common and misunderstood opportunities to grow in maturity and love. They have the power to deeply enrich our relationships or drive wedges in them. Huh. Wow. I read that and I'm thinking, that's, that's quite the statement. Can, can <laughs> You, can you unpack a bit about the importance uh, emotions play in helping Christians to grow in maturity and love? Sure. How much time did you say we have with three hours? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, no. de- totally, totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I'll say a couple things and feel free to, to follow up in any direction you like, but um, I, I think that, let me start by saying, uh, speaking again back to the problem that I perceive, and then in contrast, what, I, what I'm trying to argue in that passage you just read, my experience growing up, and I think for many of us, was that emotions break into an A-list and a B-list. Right? There's good things like peace and patience and love and joy. And those are things you're supposed to feel, and God commands you to feel them. And then there's things you're not supposed to feel. Do not be afraid. You know, Be anxious for nothing. Don't be angry, etc. And so if you find yourself feeling any of those bad emotions, the, the goal is to squash them, to repent of them, to stop feeling them, to change your feelings as fast as you can. And that view of emotions, and again, I can, I can understand a lot of where it comes from, but what it doesn't take account of is the fact that um, our, our emotions are not primarily here so that we can flip switches on and off and feel what we ought to feel and not feel what we don't want to feel. Instead, every emotion is actually this invitation to engage the Lord. So when I am afraid, I will trust in you, Psalm 56.3. That's not just saying when I'm afraid, I'll stop being afraid because I'll flip the switch. That's saying my fear actually is intended to be this driver to the one place of safety I have. And the goal, fundamentally, is not actually that I feel no butterflies in my stomach because I'm trusting. The goal is that in the midst of the raging storm, I have a shelter. I have a rock. I, the rock that is higher than I is the place I run to. You are my refuge and my fortress. Um, you appreciate a refuge and a fortress when there are very real dangers against you. And that doesn't mean that experiencing God as a refuge doesn't have emotional impact in the moment. We're not saying, okay, there's relief in knowing that God is good, that he is protective, that he is sovereign. But it does mean that it's really, really easy to be so busy trying to squash your emotions that you don't actually let them take you straight to the Lord and help you engage Him and help you move towards Him and help you actually draw toward Him. And what you realize, and I know I'm going a little bit further afield than, than your question, so so rein me in any time, but the, the, the idea that peace is always good and fear is always bad just doesn't hold up biblically. Uh, so for example... Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, 28, uh, after talking about every kind of physical suffering he's endured and all this, I mean, the list is just endless and awful, um, talks about how he says, on top of all that suffering, you know, shipwrecked and naked and beaten and hungry and cold and starving, and then he says, on top of all that, I bear daily the weight of my anxiety for all the churches. He's not confessing his anxiety. He's saying, I bear a burden on my heart, knowing that things really could go wrong and badly and suffering for these churches, and they will face temptation and false teachers, and I, my heart aches at the thought of that for them because I love them. And vice versa. The idea that peace is always good. Uh, yes, the Bible certainly commands us to feel peace, but there is bad peace. Sometimes it's bad to feel good. So, for example, you know, you want an easy one. How about heroin addiction? Heroin addiction is very peaceful. When you're high, you, nothing's wrong. Everything's right. You feel deep peace, and it's awful. <laughs> it is not good. Or, you know, Jeremiah talking about the, the leader saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. If there isn't peace, 
feeling peace is not a godly good thing. So every emotion has the chance to bring us to the Lord to engage him. The question is, are we seeking his kingdom? Are we loving him? Or are we running from him either toward peace or toward anxiety? Are we running toward him in our anxieties or away? Are we running toward him in our peace or away? Now Am I, I answering your question? Yeah. No, so there's there's uh, there's there's what I heard you say is that there's there's good emotions that can be um, expressed in a counter. Well, the devil can counterfeit our good emotions um, and take a take a good thing and twist it. Right, and and I might even take I might say even a little bit more strongly than that. I would say he certainly can counterfeit things. Um, I'd say it's it's even the real emotions. It's not like um, how. I mean, you have to be careful because you can get into semantic games about what exactly do you mean by joy? What exactly do you mean by boredom or, yeah. you know, malaise or whatever? But but even just think, think about something like happiness. I think there is a kind of happiness that we would all really call happiness on any kind of functional, common sense, street level view. That can be happiness and really bad things. Like you can really be happy when someone else fails because it's going to mean your promotion or the spotlight comes off of you and now it's their mistake that's under the microscope or whatever. Um, and there can be really truly negative feeling emotions like anger that are really right. Like when someone harms your child, uh, you know, maliciously and intentionally does something wicked and evil to your child, uh, there's a right response of anger. Now, we all know anger easily goes south, and James warns us, be careful, be slow to anger, quick to listen, you know. We're very good at twisting anger, um, but I think it's, it's best to think of it as real anger, real happiness, um, and recognize that the, the danger is a danger of fundamental loyalties, fundamental worship, fundamental loves, and which way those are leading us. Recognizing the devil can easily counterfeit anything, um, and he can easily put us in a situation where um, he's he's saying, here's what I want you to be focused on and have your attention on, and here's the love I'm trying to foster in you. And he's, he's quite happy for us to be faithless to God because we're happier rather than because we're more anxious. Right. There's, there's a good kind of anger where we're right. angry at that there's sin and justice in the world, exactly. like sex trafficking, People, children are getting taken away. It, it's okay right. to be angry angry about that that's a good thing now exactly. now where we cross the line is if in that same scenario where we want to murder that person that right. that did that so so it, see how see how quickly or... how quickly we go from having a just and godly desire to crossing over to sin right and and same on the other side with peace good peace that's a deep contentment in what the lord has given very easily becomes a demand that i must remain comfortable you know all all emotions again good and negative and positive if you will yeah. can easily get warped we're, we're very temptable beings yeah. and again the the less we understand our emotions the, the easier it is for us to say well you know peace is good. so i never even have to think about it so we're talking about how to process Process negative and unpleasant emotions, but how do how do our emotions express the things we love, value, and treasure? Yeah, and I think that that question probably drives at the very core insight of the whole book, which is this idea that it is that emotions are the overflow of our loves. Uh, emotion is uh, essentially a, a, a spilling out of the things we love. Whatever you worship, whatever you love, whatever you treasure, whatever you care about, whatever matters to you, that's what your emotions are going to swirl around. And so if the, if the person you love or the thing you love or what you really care about is under a threat, you feel afraid. If it is doing really well, you're going to feel elated or happy or full of joy. If, if there's a deep stability and you feel very much like there's a safety about the thing you care about, um, you're going to feel a sense of peace. If it's been attacked and wronged and treated unjustly, you're going to feel anger. Um, and, 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 and these things can then even mix in other ways, right? Because it's not like we just care about one thing. Uh, we can care about 
many things were made like in the were made in the image of God and like Him. We perceive lots of things about His world all at the same time. It, so it gets messy and complicated. But but at the core, the idea is that what we love drives what we feel, shapes what we feel. They're not just sort of like oh, these are chemical reaction reactions happening inside me. They're very much embodied. Yes, when I feel an emotion like sorrow, it can actually make water come out of my eyes. That's that's pretty intense. That something you perceive can affect you physically like that. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, yeah, what we love, when we lose it, we grieve. When we receive it in spades, we rejoice. And so that idea uh, that that our loves shape what we feel probably is the thing most shaping the rest of, of our then thinking about how the scriptures talk to us about how to handle our emotions. And and one of the most sobering things that we learned, I think, through writing the book was an awareness of just how much our emotions do tell us about what we love and what we care about. And that's not always a pretty picture. Yeah. Was there uh, particular things that you were challenged by as, as uh, emotionally dealing with your own processing and navigating your emotions that you benefited from as you uh, worked through this book? In writing this book, I mean. Yeah. Um, you know, counterintuitively, I would say one of the most powerful lessons for me was actually recognizing that I didn't love enough. Mm. I wasn't loving my neighbor as well as I thought. And that actually was most coming out in a lack of negative emotions. I was realizing I was... I had, I had learned just instinctively through life to do a pretty good job of insulating myself from feelings that I didn't enjoy. And so one thing that meant for me in particular was that my, my compassion muscle was pretty weak. Mm. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't good at feeling or sustaining it. I, when sad things were happening to other people around me, it was there was this instinctive heart that sort of wanted to pull back. And so the Lord is really trying to stretch me to say, okay, compassion is actually fairly unpleasant to feel. Um, to make yourself raw, to have empathy for another other person's pain or, or suffering and to stay there and hang in there with them does not feel comfortable or good, but you need to grow in that, Alistair. And so I've actually been seeking to, to grow in, and then along with that comes that the more you love and the more you care about people who are hurting, um, the more you actually are going to find, yeah, there is a, a growth in feeling more righteous anger that I need to grow in. There's a, there's a willingness to open myself to grief. There's a willingness to feeling a greater weight of, of burden, you know, like all talking about the, the churches, right? The, you know, I feel the burden of the churches on me daily. I, I want to feel that more. I mean, okay, I don't want to feel that more, but, but I need to. And I, in that sense, I do want to. I see the Lord calling me there. So um, I I am someone who's always had a, a fairly easy time being emotionally stable, quote unquote. Um, and so for me, the, the place the book really shook me up the most was saying, you know, there's actually a kind of lament that you need to grow in. There's a righteous anger you need to grow in. There's especially a compassion um, that you need to grow in, and it's not going to be comfortable. Um, and it's going to be driven by me putting my people, Alistair, more on your heart. Yeah, I think for those of us that maybe have suppressed emotions in their in their past, and we're still learning, like myself, to process emotions uh, in a in a healthy way. What would you What would you say to 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 us? Yeah, you know, I mean. I would say a lot, but let me say two very basic things. Number one, I would say, in general, the reason people, myself included, have suppressed emotions is because there was some fairly decent reason, right? There was some relatively logical, reasonable trigger for that. There was some really painful event or a betrayal or a trauma or abuse or just significant disappointment or loss or hey, I felt really insecure. And, you know, it, it may it may be uh, reasonable in the sense of, yeah, that's how sinful human beings handle things. Or maybe reasonable in the sense of like, yeah, that's 
there's no sin involved on your side at all in what happened to you. Either way, um, the reason people suppress emotions is because we live in a fallen, broken world where bad stuff happens, and nobody likes to feel negative, unpleasant emotions. And so one thing we tend to do is suppress them in one way or another. And so there's a million ways to suppress them, right? You can go this sort of escapist addictions route, and you can use, you know, again, whether it's oxycodone or whether it's netflix or facebook or working harder you know to drown out things we don't like to feel everybody has escapes they're tempted to go to or on the flip side sometimes it's more anger right it's like i i don't like feeling that you made me feel that and so i respond to this anger and sometimes that anger comes so hard and so fast it, it, we're not even aware there was hurt or fear or uh grief or disappointment and you know happening in the mix with the anger um and so i think the, the so bottom line first thing i'm saying is if you have suppressed emotions ever at all in your life, uh, asterisk, spoiler alert, and we all have, <laughs> um, and, you know, some more than others, of course, but we all have done it. Uh, you know, that's that's not surprising. And at some level, that's a, yeah, this is what happens in a fallen world. And I think the second thing I would say is um, don't don't let that, don't let the fact that you're seeing, hey, you know what, there's suppressed emotions or someone's telling you, I think your emotions have been really held back and suppressed and stunted. Don't let that freak you out. Don't like, don't let that make you feel like, oh no, you know, what's wrong with me? It's, there's a, there's a gentle and gracious path that God has for each of us to grow in facing this stuff that we don't want to face. And that may take, that, that may be sort of, oh, wow, I have this sudden insight and I realize and there's this rush of emotion and I begin to engage him better. And it may be a very slow, gradual, year-by-year year kind of process. But either way, the, the hope is we can bring anything to him. Your worst feelings about your worst day, about your most shameful thing that ever happened to you or the most guilt-producing thing you've ever done, those are things you can bring him. This is the gospel, right? The gospel is that you are accepted and you're, whatever you're struggling with in your life, it, it's coming from a foundation of safety, acceptance, love, security, and unbelievable power for God to work in you and the promise that he will complete his work in you, not that you need to get yourself together and figure out all your emotions and know exactly what's going on inside, right? So I just say that I have amazing hope and confidence uh, that if you are identifying, hey, there's stuff I haven't been dealing with very well or I've been pushing away from or suppressing or drowning with something else or, you know, it, it, it is... Um, that's normal, and it's an opportunity to actually learn something about God's care for you and his heart for you that you wouldn't have otherwise learned. That's a great thing. Maybe a little bit painful in the process, right? It may be a hard thing to go through, but like any trial, we have confidence that God is going to see us through. That's really well said. Really well said. Thank you. How, how should Christians engage their more troubling emotions such as anger or doubt? Mm. Um, I'll try to keep this as brief as I can. <laughs> Let me say one one broad sweeping thing, and then I'll hit each of anger and doubt. Sweeping comment about, about negative emotions, how do you engage them? Uh, in one sense, the answer is in the question. You engage them. Uh, and that right there is a big victory most of the time, right? Because most of the time we don't engage them. Most of the time we get angry, and then maybe we feel a little bit bad about that afterwards, or we ruin part of a relationship, or continue a bad cycle, and sort of our focus is on the other person and their emotions, or the situation, and or, or on... God, why did you make me this way? Or you know, but um, which, which is a you're allowed to ask that question. I'm not trying to say it's a bad question, but our, we don't tend to say, "Oh, I'm feeling these hard things. Let me turn and face that. Let me turn and engage that." So simply engaging those emotions and engaging them with the Lord would be overwhelmingly the the biggest win. Because uh, again, even if you engage them, and, and here's where I think um, the the secular psychological field I think has been tremendously helpful to us in in creating this idea that, hey, it's okay to face your feelings. Hey, talk about 
your feelings. Hey, there's this thing called therapy out there where people talk about their emotions, and that can be helpful, right? I, I actually think we owe a debt of gratitude to psychology for pushing us in that direction when, when the church's um, instinct can often be a bit more stoic. And don't tell me about your feelings. Just suck it up and do the right thing. Um, However, <laughs> where, uh, where secular psychology by definition can't lead us in the right direction with that is it, it, it doesn't lead us to the Lord. It doesn't say your only hope with all these messy feelings is to bring them to a God who made you, who knows exactly what's wrong with you, who is your shepherd and your help in time of trouble, who brings grace, who, who has compassion on you. This real being, your heavenly father, actually sees you, knows you, loves you, and he gets that you are dust, you know, in that psalmic language. And so all that to say, engaging your emotions while engaging the Lord, engaging your emotions as a way of engaging the Lord, engaging him by bringing him your emotions, doing both at the same time, is the fundamental mode of what do you do when you're feeling stuff that isn't pleasant or maybe feels totally wrong, right? Totally off. Like, hey, I'm really excited that I'm getting away with, um, you know, keeping my pornography happy. Ha- uh, habit secret, right? That's a good thing. I'm feeling great about this, right? No, well, no, you should be feeling awful about that. But either way, don't wait till you've got your heart in the right place to come to the Lord. Come to him right away and say, Lord, I am actually in a place where I am getting away with something. I'm doing something wrong. My heart's in the wrong place. I need help. Will you Will you break my heart? Will you help me? Will you draw me out of this place? Or yeah, again, whatever the example might be. So specific to anger and doubt, um, with anger, and again, you see this very clearly, Scripture does say there are good things to be angry about, but the weight of Scripture's teaching is certainly on the side of, and be careful, because anger goes sour pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Anger is very, very tempting. It's the Anger is the moral emotion that says what just happened is wrong, and man, is it intoxicating to feel like I'm right and somebody else is wrong. I can now stand in judgment over someone else. And so that's why James gives us, you know, be slow to anger because, you know, chapter 1, verse 20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. So human anger relying on human strength and human instincts is not going to be good. So in anger, specifically engaging anger, I would always encourage someone to slow down. Mm. Slow down. That There's a danger of anger dissipating altogether, and you never take any action, and you never found mothers against drunk driving or whatever the case might be. But um, anger doesn't tend to do very well in the heat of the moment as it's first initially kindled, because we aren't God. His anger is perfect right away in the first split second. Our anger um, tends to be thoughtless and vengeful and petty and self-centered and self-righteous. Anger, that actually drives us towards uh, redemptive, protective, justice-seeking, uh, can afford to wait and count to 10. It can afford to slow down. It can afford to be prayed through before you act on it uh, in the vast majority of cases. So with anger, the big thing I'd say biblically is, yeah, slow it down and bring it to the Lord before you act on it. With doubt, uh, a bit differently here, doubt, I'd say, is a very valuable emotion in and as it causes you to bring the Lord real questions you have about who he is and how that interacts with his world. So when Habakkuk says, Lord, why are you letting your people get away with this garbage? Like, this is this is terrible. This is not how it should be. And God responds, guess what? I'm going to take care of that. I'm bringing Babylon to wipe out and bring judgment. And Habakkuk's like, <laughs> let me clarify my question. Uh, I, I, I see where you're going with that one, but have you looked at Babylon recently? They're not a great crew. Um, in fact, they're worse than we are. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Like, Lord, how, how could you bring them? That doesn't make any sense. You're a good God. Why would you bring the most evil nation around us to judge us? Like, sure, we've got our problems, but 
<clears throat> okay, I'm loosely paraphrasing, right? <laughs> but 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 that experience is in the scriptures, right? Or the book of Job, or many of the Psalms, Psalm seventy-three especially, where where you are, where your doubts are this very very valuable experience you're having. Of, okay, Lord, I know your character on the one hand, and I know your world, and I see the experience, and they they don't line up. I cannot bring the two together, and so bringing him those doubts rather than saying, oh, doubt is always bad, so just squash it, right? Oh, I don't want to be double-minded, so I just, I can't, I can't engage that. I have to repent of that. The scripture offers us a different perspective. It, it says, bring him these questions on your heart, not in an accusatory way, like the Israelites did in the wilderness. You brought us out here to kill us. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure if he parted the Red Sea and did all those plagues, he probably has something besides just killing you in mind. <laughs> um, you're accusing his character in a way that is totally irrational, and also we would probably do the same thing. Um, but all that to say, doubt, bring it to him. It's a very valuable way to actually say, okay, Lord, I'm seeing the problems around me, and I've seen your character, and I can't bring the two together. Yeah, that's really good. Um, are there particular strategies or tools that you use as a counselor to help people process and navigate their emotions? Yes. <laughs> Anything else you want to know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a thousand, right? And, and I, what I love about counseling personally is um, actually that there's very, it's very rare that I'm sort of thinking, oh, what's, what is one of my 10 basic tools and how can I bring it into the situation? It's much more often a sense of, okay, who is this person in front of me? Where exactly is their struggle? What would it look like for them to seize on it? But, but I think one, um, one phrase that's been helpful to me, a, a tool that I come back to again and again in counseling, and, and again, I'm personalizing it, I'm, is that I'm, I'm looking for the watershed moments. That's a phrase I got from David Pallison, the executive director at CCF and one of the big shapers of the biblical counseling movement. And what he means by that is you're going to be confronted daily with many, many moments, many, many choice points where your heart is either going to go one way down the divide or it's going to go the other way down the divide. You're either going to lean toward trusting the Lord, loving him, worshiping him, walking in obedience and faith, or you're going to walk in selfishness and trusting in man and, and your own strength and your own abilities and seeing your own selfish definitions of what is good and, and right and what is wrong and not good. And, and so he, he would just say, you know, identify where, where are those watershed moments with this particular struggle? Where in the face of this particular emotional battle I'm fighting, what what are some choice points I have? What's what's something where I could say, okay, I'm gonna I know I'm gonna run into this again in the next twenty-four hours. What does it look like to prepare my heart well to choose differently? That might mean choosing a different behavior, right? It might mean like, okay, I know I always struggle at the end of the day when I get home from work and the house is a mess because the kids are going crazy and it's that witching hour before dinner. Um, and my wife is stressed because she's just home from work and you know, it's just like, okay. I need to prepare myself to walk into that situation because my temptation in those moments is going to be to freak out or to check out or whatever. And I need to understand what's my typical temptation and how can I prepare my heart? Maybe I need to sit in the driveway for two minutes before I walk inside and just pray, Lord, help me walk in and have the love driving my emotions be a love for the good of my children and the good of my wife um, rather than a love for my own comfort and a house that's clean or whatever, you know, like that. And, and so then I pray about that. And then I walk in and I, I make it my goal to say, I, whatever I say, whatever I do, whatever toys are on the floor, I'm going to speak calmly to my kids. That's my goal. Now, that's not a tool. That's an application in one sense, but, but it focuses on this idea of watershed moments. And I think so much of counseling, but certainly all the places that involve emotions uh, are going to be helped by identifying things like that in our lives. Yeah, that's, that's really good. We could talk a long time about that for sure. We could. 
Yeah. Yeah. But uh, moving on to the next question, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how there's not a lot of teaching on this subject. And so this we have a lot of pastors that listen to this podcast and other people as well. Um, so what advice would you give to a pastor or a Bible teacher wanting to do a sermon series or a study on emotions to help people learn to process and navigate their emotions in a God-honoring way? You know, I, I'd probably give a couple of pieces of advice. The first, um, well, well, I guess I guess I'm allowed to give a piece of advice that says, hey, you should, you should get this book I know of. Yes, um, yes, that's exactly. Like, that's okay. Yeah, right. Yes. Right. So, so I'd say that. Um, but, but secondly, I would say I think um, I, I would encourage you if you're trying to do a series on emotions or navigating emotions, responding to emotions. I, I would just I would encourage you to start from a place of, of not um, reinforcing the idea that emotions are basically bad. Um, and and go go to the scriptures. Go to you know whatever scriptures you like. I mean, I even look at uh, I, I can't remember how much we say exactly in the book, but one thing I've really zoomed in on is the end of Philippians two. There's all these emotion words in the last five verses of the chapter. And the point or the, the place where you see that coming together is some of it's like, you know, Paul saying, I was anxious because Epaphroditus was sick. And I knew you guys knew that back um, in, in Philippi and were worried about him. And, um, and and then he's also saying, you know, I rejoice when he got better and God spared me sorrow upon sorrow. So greet him eagerly. And like just the way that emotions are doing a lot of things, but even uh, having someone on your heart as a burden is a good thing. So I won't, I won't bother restating that too much further, but I would just say if you start with the idea that all emotions, all the sort of core streams of emotion have the potential to be God honoring or have the potential to be pushing away from the Lord, um, that that's going to reorient your thinking about whatever you end up choosing to preach. So that, that's thought number one. Thought number two is um, it is tricky to take the Psalms seriously sometimes because their language is so extreme. But, but we sure seem to see people in the grip of pretty heavy and often negative emotion, as well as pretty heavy and positive emotion. And sometimes the two seem to sit in side-by-side verses, or at least clearly in the same Psalm. You know, you Psalm 22, right? Starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're so far from the words of my groaning. And ends with, you know, generation yet unborn will worship God because of the testimony he's creating through our story. That, that's a pretty distinct spectrum there over the course of that psalm. So all that to say, um, digging into the psalms especially is going to lead you in what does it look like to respond well, both to the dark and to the joyful, um, and recognizing there's just a there's a huge spectrum out there. Lastly, if you're a more um, academically um, oriented person who really wants to sort of go deeper on the, the academic side, the, the single best uh, author I would point you to is a guy named Robert C. Roberts. Uh, had a lot of impact on our thinking as we wrote. We were trying to distinctly write a lay-level work. His work uh, is definitely not lay-level. I would never hand this to someone struggling with their emotions, but it is very, very provocative and helpful, um, particularly there's one called The Psychology of Christian Virtues. Um, or, or something very close to that, if that's not it, by Robert C. Roberts. And he just talks about um, emotions in ways that I, I found uh, really helped me more deeply perceive this love-driven nature to the point where even the apostles uh, being driven out of the temple, flogged and beaten and told never to preach again, are rejoicing as they walk away because their love for Jesus and his kingdom tells them that this experience is actually deepening their connection to him. And that's what they love and that's what they care about. And so there's rejoicing even though it physically hurts. Mm. Uh, that's an intense experience of faith and um, anyhow, Roberts is great stuff. Uh, you should read him if you're if you're really wanting to get into the weeds, and the weeds get deep. Let me tell you. Oh, I bet. Well, Alistair, as we wrap up this conversation, I've really enjoyed it. Um, and listeners, go ahead and pick up their pick up your guys's book. Uh, can you give us a few takeaways from this conversation that you would want people to to take away before they read your book? Sure. Um, you know, one thing, and 
I haven't said this yet, so this is, I guess, in one sense, not a, a takeaway, but a, a framing or summary thought. We, we tried to write the book, as I said, to a lay audience, to a, an audience struggling, but the, the goal is that um, you would read the book as someone who's saying, yeah, my emotions are hard for me. We hope that pastors are listening in. We hope that spouses who are saying, like, yeah, my husband's tough to live with because of his emotions. My wife is difficult for me to know how to handle because of her emotions. So we want people listening in, but we, the book itself is, is designed to be uh, spoken directly to. Hey, this is hard for you, so let's talk about that. And as a result, we tried to lay it out in the, in the direction of, okay, how, how does counseling tend to unfold when emotions are difficult. So we tried to structure it through that lens. So, so one takeaway I would have is just um, if if you're hearing this and you're saying, "Man, that's me. Like I am struggling so much with emotions. I'm not sure what to make of all this stuff about negative emotions potentially being good that you're talking about, Alistair. I I need to think more about that." But I would just say um, it, it is so important to me that as a church we have the ability to talk about this. And so even the fact that you chose to do a podcast that you said, yeah, this book is worth spending an hour of my time uh, having a conversation about. I, I, I just, I so appreciate that instinct out there. And I want to encourage people to take that further in the same way that I want each individual to engage his or her own emotions and engage the Lord. I want us as a community, as, as a church to spend more time thinking through, okay, how does this enormously tangled up that experience, um, how do we untangle it on some level? And and just recognizing it, it really is complicated and difficult, and we shouldn't expect there to be simple, easy, oh, just do this, oh, just change your loves. It's like, well, that's the whole Christian life, isn't it? It's learning to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love neighbor as self. Like, that is a very, very difficult endeavor, and it takes the Spirit of God every second of our lives to, to grow us in that direction. So be patient, talk about it, engage it, um, whether you buy the book or not. I, I just I hope that um, as a church, we grow in our ability to, um, to, to have emotions not be this taboo subject and have it not be this uh, knee-jerk, emotions are bad, let's run away from them, or follow the culture and saying emotions are everything and we just have to embrace them as they are and whatever you need to express about yourself, that's okay and that's fine and you're okay the way you are. It's like, no, you're not okay the way you are. That's part <laughs> of the problem that we clearly identify in the gospel and we have emotions about the fact that we're not okay the way we are and thankfully we have an answer to the fact that we're not okay the way we are and that includes our emotions. Uh, good and bad, negative and positive. And we have a God who works with us in the midst of it. Man, that's really well said. Really well said. I, I, I couldn't begin to say it as well as you. And uh, oh. I've really, I really have enjoyed our, our conversation today, Alistair. And it's been very encouraging and um, enjoyed the book as well. So thank Dr. Smith for that. And, and um, yeah, pray Christ's richest blessings on your ministry, brother. Well, thank you so much for having me. As you can tell, you've, you've got me all fired up and I'm all excited. This is so cool. I love talking about this and I really appreciate the time and thought and effort you put into this and into a thousand other topics. Uh, we need to equip ourselves as a church. And uh, thank you so much for what you're doing to do that. Thank you, brother. That's very kind. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.